It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 788 for the 15th of April, 2022. This week, the latest version of Microsoft's Power Toys is an ongoing project that receives new features regularly and adds useful functionality to Windows 10 and Windows 11. In short circuits, 1980s computers could run one program at a time. Then we got the ability to multitask programs. And now it's easy to have so many applications running that we encountered the limit of human multitasking. It's getting harder to tell truth from lies when Russia's former KGB agent and current president is seeing a lot of success in sowing distrust among Americans, searching for truth is important. And 20 years ago, customer service is often a weak point for organizations, and I was encountering a lot of it in 2002. Those who are old enough to remember Windows 95 may recall Microsoft's Power Toys. There were new updates through Windows XP, and some of the features did continue to work with even more recent versions. But nothing much happened until 2019, when Microsoft released a new edition of Power Toys. Development has continued, and you'll probably find something to like in the new set of utilities. Power Toys, once it's running, will appear in the tray, or notification area, if you prefer. I may have mentioned my favorite feature previously, but there's a lot more to like in this open-source, Microsoft-sponsored utility that can be downloaded for free from GitHub or from the Microsoft Store. It works with Windows 10 and Windows 11. My favorite component is called Find My Mouse. These days, it's really easy to lose track of a mouse, especially if you have two or more screens. Maybe you've accidentally let the mouse drift onto the second or third monitor and you can't find it. A quick double click on the left control key dims the screen and places a highlight around the mouse cursor. If you prefer, you can change the activation to shaking the mouse. But as I said, that's not all. Perhaps you've had the computer go into sleep mode when you're running a long backup job. and That creates a problem. Instead of opening settings and modifying power settings, only to have to repeat the process to restore the settings when the job is complete, use the Power Toys Awake function. It doesn't modify any of the Windows Power Plan settings, and it doesn't depend on a custom Power Plan configuration. Instead, it spawns background threads that tell Windows they need the computer to remain active. Always on top is a new feature that can be activated to keep a particular window in view at all times. When a window is pinned with this feature, no other application can be displayed in front of it. That means you'll have to move the pinned window out of the way if you want to work with one of the other windows. I can think of a few instances when this feature would be really useful. Here's one. Having a supervisory application, such as a task manager or a temperature monitor, in a small window that's always visible. If you set more than one window to be always on top, what happens? Well, those windows can cover each other, depending on which has focus, but no other application can cover either of them. 
The Power Toys Color Picker is a tool for identifying colors and providing their hex, HSL, and RGB values. There are plenty of free tools that perform this function, but having the function built into Power Toys means it's always handy. Fancy Zones is a window manager that can arrange windows into specific layouts. Users define a set of locations for a desktop, and these are what Microsoft calls drag targets for windows. If you've used the built-in function that causes windows to snap to the left or right side of the screen, you're already familiar with the concept. Fancy Zones creates additional locations where windows can be snapped into place. When snapped to a Fancy Zone, the window is resized to fit. The Windows File Explorer already shows thumbnails of some images, but PowerToys adds a preview for SVG, PDF, and G-Code files. The ability to see a preview of a PDF document is handy, and adding SVG to files that can be previewed is good because they're being used much more frequently on websites. But what's a G-Code file? Well, these are files that contain data describing how a 3D printer should print a job. Image Resizer adds a context menu to the File Explorer for quick and easy resizing of images, and of course there are plenty of ways to do that, but having it built in is handy. Instead of overwriting your images, the Resizer automatically adds size information to the name and saves it to the same location by default, or you can specify another location. Image Keyboard Manager allows users to remap some keys without having to use the Registry Editor. It also doesn't require rebooting, which is required for registry edits. Last, but certainly not least, there's PowerToys Run, a quick launch utility. It's activated by Alt-Spacebar, but that can be changed. To launch Outlook, for example, the user would press Alt-Spacebar, type Out to display Outlook in the list of files, and then press Enter. Starting applications without having to reach for the mouse is faster. Using the same process for an open application is a quick, mouseless way to switch between apps, too. I'm going to have to remind myself to use this more often. I like the idea. PowerTools even has a built-in shortcut guide for quick reference when you're trying to remember the key combination to enable or disable one of the functions. Pressing the Windows key, Shift, and the forward slash displays it, and I'm probably going to have trouble remembering that set of keys. If you'd like more information or you'd like to download the latest version of PowerToys, visit Microsoft's website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. question for you in short circuits. How many open tasks are too many? Computers have changed a lot in a relatively short time. At the beginning of the personal computer era, it wasn't possible to have too many tasks running because the computer could run only a single task at a time. Now we can have a lot of applications running, maybe too many.
I sat out the Apple revolution, content with Digital Equipment Corporation computers at the office and a dumb terminal at home that connected to the office computers at 1200 baud. But then IBM got into the game and lots of companies made IBM compatible computers. The first one I owned had two floppy disk drives, even though MS-DOS version 2 supported hard disk drives. Hard disk drives were so expensive that few could afford them. Floppy drive A was used to boot the computer and load programs. If the computer had a drive B, it was used for data. If not, the user spent a lot of time inserting and extracting disks. Switching between a word processor and a spreadsheet required shutting down the word processor, inserting a different disk in drive A, and starting the spreadsheet program. It wasn't easy to go back and forth between applications. The ability to copy and paste data had been invented in the late 1970s at the Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, but the process was virtually guaranteed to create a mess on personal computers of the early 1980s, so for the most part it was one application at a time, period. Terminate and Stay Resident Applications, or TSRs, came along and allowed more than one application to be in the computer's memory simultaneously, but switching between them was clumsy and frequently caused the computer to crash. So it was still pretty much one application at a time. But now we can load dozens of processes, services, and applications when the computer starts. It's common for users to have several applications open at the same time. For example, I always have at least 15 applications running. Mailwasher Pro, Thunderbird, Vivaldi, which has at least 18 active tabs. OneNote, Qder, Your Phone, which connects the computer to an Android phone. Snagit, Skype, Google Drive, OneDrive, GoodSync, CrashPlan, MacroExpress, Adobe Creative Cloud, PowerToys, and more. And it's not uncommon to have Dreamweaver, Photoshop, and Audition all running at the same time. Take a look at the Windows Task Manager on your computer and you'll probably find well over 100 background processes running, hundreds of services, many of them started by Windows, and maybe a dozen or more applications that you've added to the Windows boot process or have opened during your current session. Don't worry though, modern computers are able to deal with that kind of load unless the CPU is severely underpowered or the computer has a very limited amount of system memory. In the early days of Windows, it wasn't difficult to have too many processes running, and as a result, to deal with a very sluggish computer. What's possibly worth consideration is the effect so many running applications have on you, not your computer. Consider just your browser. How many tabs are open? Some people keep 50 or more tabs open. Now, granted, they're unusual, and very few people have that many open, but I feel like a wimp when I look at my little 18 tabs. There's the TechBiter Worldwide website, Google and Outlook email accounts, two other sites, Facebook and Tribal, the New York Times and Washington Post, The Guardian, Google Calendar and two reminder sites, YouTube Music, three Google Sheets documents, and a supervisory site for the outgoing mail server I use. This can lead to a kind of information overload. I've turned off notifications for nearly all of the sites so that I'm not constantly interrupted. Even email notifications are off. 
maybe particularly email notifications are off. Every half hour or so, I check MailWasher and delete the spam and news alerts that I don't need to see. Computers are better at multitasking than humans are. Women are generally better at multitasking than men. Younger people can deal with multitasking more efficiently than older people. Well, I'm not a computer, a woman, or young, so that makes me a three-time loser. I avoid interrupting myself to visit news sites, social media sites, and other open windows on my browser, or at least I try to. It's more efficient for me to work at a specific task for 15 to 30 minutes and then check for any pending activities that might possibly need my attention. But I do have to jump frequently from one site to another when I'm writing. I needed to check several dates, remind myself how some older technologies worked, and grab a few screenshots for this article. Those are the times when it's helpful to depend on the computer's ability to multitask. It's difficult to avoid being affected by what's called confirmation bias. When you see a post on the internet, you hear something that seems plausible, but in fact is a lie. Disinformation, which is the intentional spreading of inaccurate information, is a big problem, and it's getting bigger every day. Regardless of your political point of view, it's important to strive for factual information. It is easy to pass something along when it seems plausible, but would you intentionally lie to your mother or your son? What about your father or your daughter? Shouldn't we all focus on finding the truth? Before passing information on, take a moment to confirm its validity. I am old enough to remember a time when liberals and conservatives disagreed about policies but we each believed that we wanted the best for our city, our state, our nation, and the world. Now politics is treated like sports. Those from Southern Ohio hate Cleveland Browns fans, and those in Northern Ohio hate Cincinnati Bengals fans, and they all hate Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Maybe that's okay for football, but I don't think it's okay for the city, the state, the nation, or the planet. We, and I mean all of us, need to put the nation ahead of our political parties and to put the planet's well-being ahead of our nation. That seems to be a quaint concept these days, but it is to nobody's advantage for all of us to be so closely focused on our political points of view that the nation or the planet is destroyed. And actually, the planet won't be destroyed. The planet will do just fine even if we humans manage to destroy ourselves. But once again, I digress. So let's think about the most basic consideration, supporting the nation. It should be no surprise that former KGB agent Vladimir Putin, who is now president of Russia, is doing everything he can to destroy the United States. The KGB, in conjunction with the Soviet Union's news agency, TASS, that stands for Telegraph Agency of the Soviet Union, used to plant stories that Americans and intelligent Russians knew were fakes back in the 1950s and 1960s. Intelligent Russians knew and even had a saying about the problem. In Pravda, there is no news, and in Izvestia, there is no truth. Well, Pravda means truth, and Izvestia means news. TASS, Pravda, and Izvestia still exist, they have been joined by Russia today to disseminate Vladimir Putin's point of view. But there is still no news in Pravda, 
and No Truth in Izvestia, and RT Television is less believable than Occupy Democrats on the left or Infowars on the right. And yet the Russian propaganda machine has proved to be surprisingly adept at convincing conservative Americans that liberal Americans are their enemies, and likewise convincing liberal Americans that conservative Americans are their enemies. If we fight with each other, Vladimir Putin wins. Is anybody really in favor of that, given Putin's attack on Ukraine? Conservatives need to understand that liberals want what is best for their city, their country, and the planet. And liberals need to understand that this is also the case for conservatives. The process needs to start with truth. So that means making sure we are not unwitting dupes who pass along disinformation. Advantis Media is a Colorado-based media watchdog organization primarily known for its media bias chart. The chart rates media sources in terms of political bias and accuracy. Media listed toward the top of the chart gets high marks for accuracy, and those listed near the center horizontally are considered to be more objective and truth-oriented. There's a link to the media bias fact chart on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. To reduce disinformation and misinformation, there are two easy steps to take before forwarding an article or posting a link to it. Read the full article, not just the headline, and check for the source of the information. Headlines can be misleading. They are intended to draw the reader in, and they don't always present a clear summary of the article. Likewise, captions on photographs. Satire sites exist, and sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference between fact and satire. Kent State University's library provides a short, incomplete list of satirical sites. There's a link to it on this week's TechBiter Worldwide. In addition to checking where the information came from, check the date, too. One common tactic used by liars involves dragging out a story that's several years old or entirely out of context. So if you have an extra three minutes, check out Fake News and How to Spot It from the British Broadcasting Corporation. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It's not fake news that I was annoyed by what passed for customer service in 2002. That's the topic on this week's 20 Years Ago section of the blog, only on the website. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>